morning in the house of the Lord, I want to invite your attention to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter number 2 today, to continue on our journey through this wonderful and beautiful gospel of Mark. I've missed about half of you shaking hands this morning, so I welcome you uh, to Trace Creek Baptist Church. I'm so glad uh, that you've chosen to be here with us, and may God bless our time together, and may you feel the love of God's people and the warmth of God's presence uh, today as we open up his word and see what he has for us. So today in Mark 2, we're going to start our reading in verse number 18 and read through verse number 22, 18 through 22 in Mark chapter 2. And the disciples of John and of the, and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks for this time to come with our friends, our family, and Lord, even some that we've just met today. And God, I pray that you would bless our time, and God, that you would get glory through it all. Lord, thank you that we can come and celebrate uh, with one like Josh, who's followed you today and made his following you public. God, thank you that we can come and that we can worship in song and lift our hearts and our voice to you. And Lord, I know that all these things that we do is just part of the grand picture of our worship. And God, today we desire and we need you to speak to us through your word. We need your spirit to teach us, to show us, to enlighten our hearts and minds to truth that you'd have for us to take away from this place today. God, I always want to pray for those of our our men who are out preaching. And God, that you would fill them, that you would use them today. And God, they know that we are praying for them. And God, I know there's a lot of people around that are faithfully preaching the gospel. And Lord, we lift them to you. And God, I pray that people would be drawn to salvation today, that your spirit would work. And God, that believers would be made to be closer to you in our walk with you. And we would look more like you in our life. So God, get glory to yourself today and we give it to you as best we know how. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today, as we look in these four or five verses of Scripture, there's, there's one thing that we can take away from this text, if anything, is that Jesus makes a difference. That Jesus always makes a difference. And that's really the essence of the text of Scripture today. There's two things in this uh, text that we want to build our thoughts around today. First of all, life with Jesus brings joy and not sorrow. Life with Jesus brings joy and not sorrow. And number two, life with Jesus makes you new, not just better. Life with Jesus makes you new, 
and not just better. And that's really uh, the two things that Jesus uh, brings to our attention through uh, this text of Scripture, that he comes to bring us joy and not sorrow. You know, the background of this, that Jesus is ministering and that he had just been uh, with Matthew there and had a great feast with Matthew and with publicans and sinners and really disrupted the religious crowd and what they thought was acceptable and what they uh, wanted Jesus to be doing. And that's really the background of what's going on here. And now that we see that uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, that they come together and they start discussing the importance of fasting. Now fasting, uh, you may not know much about fasting other than the the medical end of it, but uh, fasting is when one does without food or drink in order to to set the physical aside and to focus on the spiritual. How's that? And so uh, that's what we see, that they are uh, people, these disciples of John and the Pharisees, that they were uh, all about fasting. And yet God only gave, two command, gave one, t- one day of the year when he commanded that his people were to fast, and that was on the annual day of atonement. And yet uh, the Pharisees, that they fasted two days a week that they fasted on Monday and Thursday, doing some quick math there, that God asked them to, to fast one day out of the year, and they were fasting 100 days out of the year. Now, don't get me wrong. We could all stand to do that. I understand that. But they were doing it. They were doing it for all the wrong reasons, for the most part. Now, I'm sure that there were those who had great, uh, great and sincere motive in what they did. But that wasn't what Jesus was getting at. He was getting at those who had insincere motive for those that were going through the routine and the ritual and they wanted to impress other people or maybe even those who thought that I do this and then I can get my way with God. I don't know, but nonetheless, these are the people that had come together and were talking to Jesus you know, it become very empty for them uh, that they, they didn't really have a sincere heart. And I hope that you know that whatever we do, that it must come from a true heart. A heart that desires to please God. A heart that desires to honor God. And that God, that he, that the wool is not pulled over his eyes when we come before him with an empty heart. When we come before him with insincere motives in our life. That that doesn't fool God for one second. It doesn't. Now is fasting good? Yes. Fasting is good. Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 6, he said, and when you fast. I believe that there was an expectation even from Jesus that his people would continue uh, this spiritual discipline, if you will. That there would be times and seasons in our life where we would, for for the sake of drawing closer to God, that we would push away. Uh, from food and drink, those things in order uh, to be able to set our minds and our hearts on God. The times that I've done that in my life that I've quickly seen how weak this old flesh is. 
You know, I'm ready to eat when my feet hit the floor. Can I get amen on that one? All right. And so, you know, I'm reminded quickly uh, how dependent that I am uh, upon food. And it reminds me that I ought to be, I ought to be as anxious to get with the Lord as I am to get with my food. What it should remind me of. And so that's really the essence of what fasting is all about. And I believe that fasting still has its place. I was preaching one time and a guy, he came up to me and he said, you know that fasting is never commanded and I said, yes, I understand that it's never commanded, but I also know that it is recognized in the New Testament as well. I'm assuming by that statement that that meant he wasn't going to fast, all right? That's what I took away from that statement. But nonetheless, we see a very interesting combination here, don't we, of the disciples of John and the Pharisees. Those are strange running buddies, aren't they? We don't see them. As a matter of fact, you know, John the Baptist, he didn't make any friends with the Pharisees. He told them they were lowering a snake's belly, basically, didn't he? Yes. But so they come together here. Not going to see them together any other time as far as I know. But I believe that John's disciples, that they expressed this question out of concern... And the Pharisees, that they expressed this question out of contempt. I don't think they had the same motive, but I believe they had the same question. And so together that they come and they ask about fasting. Matthew talks about the disciples of John coming and asking the question. And Luke, that he gives the perspective of the Pharisees coming and asking the question. And so, here in Mark, we see that the disciples of John and the Pharisees come, really are the ones that come and ask the question and present the case. They wonder, what is it about Jesus' followers and his disciples and that they break with tradition and they don't do what is expected of them, they don't behave as they uh, other religious people think that they should. And so Jesus takes an opportunity to explain it to them. He uses the example of a wedding. No, we, today, we don't completely identify with their understanding and their way and their culture and time of a wedding. Now, you know, it, I don't, I'm not for sure in all actuality. Uh, I think that Laney and Logan are approaching four years. Is that right, Mel? I don't know. I think four years maybe of being married four years. And I'm hoping by the time that Campbell gets out of college that the wedding's paid for. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> the, uh, you no, know, wedding is a special thing. It about killed the Stinsons and the Dillards getting them married. It, you know, it's just a lot of work. A lot of work goes into it. You know, whether it be on the, on the groom's side or the bride's side or whatever, that there is a lot that goes into it. And I, I understand that 
uh, we did ourselves no favor by having only one child, all right? And so probably a little bit higher expectation from her since she knew there was nobody else to, you know, come along. <laughs> and yet, you, man, there was so much. We wanted it to be a great time, and I have to say that it's one of the, the greatest times of our life. And I don't regret anything that we did. I really don't. It's one of the greatest times of our life. A time of celebration, a time of our families coming together. And we are, we are blessed. And I'm not saying this just because Roy's sitting back here today. But we are blessed uh, to, to have in-laws like we do. And people that we can love and care for. And it's a blessing from God. And, and thank God that he's brought their lives together and our lives together. And we celebrated that. And, uh, you know, my mom, she, she about broke dad spending money. She about broke, wore him down, cleaning the, you know, getting the property because the reception was in their backyard. And, you know, had dad on a ladder. And she had him up in the bucket of the truck cleaning on the house. And it, it, it was a big to-do, big to-do. And, man, some of y'all came that, those days and helped set up tables. One of our church members would come rolling up with a big, a big uh, truck, a big box truck that had tables and chairs that brought me in from Paducah. And we're setting all that up. And, oh, my goodness, what a big deal. I was climbed up in a tree hanging a chandelier outside, you know. It was a huge deal for us. But you know, it wasn't really that big a deal in comparison to everything that a wedding was in that day. It was a big deal. You know, we don't, and I don't know, there's, I've got mixed emotions on this, you know, should you, you know, spend your money up front and have a big blowout or should you spend it later? I don't know. I don't, I think we... And we might ought to start putting a little bit more emphasis on it than we do. I don't know. But for these people, it was a seven-day affair. They just didn't show up and get married at the courthouse. But they made it a celebration that lasted all week long. It would begin as soon as the groom would show up with all of his attendants. And the partying would ensue, that they would, they would eat and they would have great times together. They would laugh and enjoy. And man, it was just, it was the highlight. It was the highlight of that family. It's the highlight of that community. It was a wonderful time to experience. It was joyful, is what it was. And Jesus said he brings that picture to their mind. And Jesus said unto them, can the children or can the attendants of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom, while the groom is with them? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. So he likens it to a wedding celebration. Us being in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, here, in this specific incident, in this application, 
in, in context that he is speaking uh, about Old Testament Judaism and life in Christ. That he is saying that things are not the same, that things are changing. But I think that in our context that we need to be reminded as Christian people that there is to be an intense joy about our walk and our relationship and you and I having the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. You see that we have gotten over that. That we have forgotten what a joy it is. That we take for granted the joy of having His presence with us. You know what? Here in this day, it would be rude. It would be ridiculous. And it would just be plain old wrong. If the people in the wedding, if the wedding party did not celebrate if the wedding party did not enjoy themselves, if the wedding party did not have a good time while the bridegroom was in their midst. And I believe it is just as rude, it is just as wrong, it is just as ridiculous for us as God's people to have His very presence with us, being dwelt by the Spirit of God, know what it is to be His child, to live in His presence, and yet we live like there's nothing to it oh I think yeah let's give the Lord a hand clap today that I believe that you and I that we must bring our attention back to what a joyous time that it is to be to know that we are a child of God to know that we have been brought into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have been taught to come in sit down and shut up and don't act like you're having a good time that's what we've been taught friend that's not what Jesus taught us that's what your mama might have taught you but it's not what Jesus taught you and that Jesus said that I, I've come to bring joy in your life. And I've come to bring joy in this place. And I've come to bring joy in your life. He came to make a difference in me. He came to make a difference in you. That he desires that you know what it is to have life. He desires that you know what it is to have a real celebration, a real relationship. It's wrong. It's nothing but wrong for us to be lifeless. It's nothing but wrong for us as Christian people to be boring. It's nothing but wrong for you and I to live in solemnness when we are to have the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ oozing out of our life. It's wrong. And so may God help us as Danny Aiken said, he says that we should be holy and not somber, moral but not legalistic, righteous but not stern. He had it right. That we are to be a different people and that we're to be different than the world around us. And that religion will make you miserable if all you have is coming to church on Sunday morning. No, no wonder you look like you do. This is it. This is all you got. We're in trouble. It's more than coming and enduring the preacher's sermon. It's about a relationship with Christ that's real, 
That's on Monday and Tuesday. When you get up in the morning, when you get good news, when you get bad news, all the above. It's a relationship with Him, hand in hand with Jesus. Every day of our life. He said, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. The picture is very forceful. Believe that most scholars would agree that this speaks of Jesus' arrest and his persecution and his death on the cross. Probably the, and really is, if this is what it alludes to, and I believe that is the case, that this is the first reference in the Gospel of Mark to Jesus' death for us. That never is the plan of God just something that slipped up on anybody. But Jesus came to die. Jesus knew that with all of his heart. But here it means that he's forcibly removed. And these little small events like this, that they are building with the Pharisees, they're building with the communities, that they're pointing even now, early on in the ministry of Jesus, they are pointing to the cross that Jesus would give his very last ounce of life blood, that he would give himself for me and for you, that he would die the most miserable death that he could die so that we could have the most joyous life that we could live. That's why he did what he did. See, that day when they took him away, that Jesus knew it would be a day of mourning. He said, oh, but right now, but right now it's a day of celebration. You know, there are times when, like when we come and we, you know, we remember the Lord's death for us. That's times of, man, it's serious. But yet, there's jubilation in that when we think of what was accomplished through the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That yes, there's mourning, but there's always joy even in the midst of our sorrow. Because we don't serve a rotting Savior, we serve a resurrected Savior. That's why. There's joy, that's why. That He's alive. And we need to let the world around us see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ living in and through us. As I look over our lives and I see what, where we're at, I, I wish that, that I could share and show and change so many Christian people who claim to know Christ and yet they live in misery. They live defeated. They live down and out. And I don't think they know exactly what I know. Not that, I, not that I'm a super Christian by any means. But I'll tell you what. I've got a living Savior who lives inside of me. And therefore He's alive and I'm alive. I know that. And there's some of you I wish you knew what I knew. And let me tell you, you can know what I know. Not that I'm doing it all right. My wife will testify. The one I work with in the office will testify that I don't always do it right. But I tell you what, I got one, one inside of me who's desiring for me to let him live through me. I know that. And I can't help, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of hard days, 
can't help but have joy in my heart. And Jesus desired for these people to understand that. And I believe that God desires for us today to understand that. We're talking a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. That we need to let the lost world know what's going on inside of us. That we have, we have, we have peace in our heart. That we have joy in our heart. That we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we've been made right with God the Father. That we're not living in agony and and, and despair. But we're living in peace because the Lord Jesus Christ. That through the cross that he brought us peace with God. We have that. What a blessing and what a truth that it really is. In verse 21 and 22, life without Jesus makes us new, not better. Now, he concludes with two clear analogies, parables or whatever, as he tries to help master this thought in our hearts and minds. Uh, The point is clear. That trying to tack on Jesus, trying to tack it on to what these Pharisees believed, or trying to even tack on Jesus to what John the Baptist taught and what he preached was not going to work. Let me tell you something. That hadn't changed one bit. Just tacking on Jesus to your life ain't going to help you one iota. And I'm afraid that's the gospel that we've often preached You just tack on Jesus, that things will get better. But let me tell you what. I'm fully convinced when you look at a text of Scripture like this, if you tack on Jesus, that your mess is going to get messier is what it's going to do. If all you do is tack on Jesus, it's not going to help you one bit. It's probably going to make things worse in your life. Because you're going to try, try, and try, and things are going to get worse, worse, and worse, and you can't figure anything out but to blame it on Jesus. And yet you've never surrendered to Him, you've never given it to Him, you just try to add Him to your life instead of making Him your life. Now, I'm not, I'm not picking on any organization, but it fit my sermon, so I'm going to use it. You don't like it, tough. There are those organizations that say we're making good men better. And that's fine if a human organization wants to make a good man better. You hammer down, try your best. But that isn't what Jesus came to do. That's not what he came to do at all. He came to save us. He came to change us and to make us new. He didn't come to make you better. He came to make you new. When you got born again, you didn't get a better version of yourself. When you got born again, He changed you. He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new life. He gave you a new hope. He gave you a new home. You're new. Not better, you're new. And if that's all you're looking for, something to make yourself a little bit better, you might as well stick with your organization because Jesus didn't come to make you better. But I'll tell you what, he'll make you new if you'll come to him today. Yesterday I got to eat breakfast with Josh Riley. Josh was baptized today. 
I tell you what, I left there excited because I ate breakfast with a new man. I love, I, amen. Hey, I loved Josh beforehand. I loved him. But I'll tell you what, when I ate breakfast with him yesterday, I could tell I was eating with a different fella. God done something big in his life. He's new. I didn't just meet a better Josh. I met a new Josh. That's what Christ will do for you if you'll come to him today. That's what he desires for you. And some of you that you've messed around with Jesus long enough. You've tried tacking him on, adding him on long enough. He desires to make you new. And I want to invite you to come to him. He's never lied to a person yet. It's not one person who's come to him in genuine faith and repentance that they didn't leave a different person. Every time, without fail, he brings life and he brings salvation. Jesus' point here was that you can't fix an old garment by tacking something new on it. Because that something new, it's going to get wet and you're going to dry and this and that. And it's going to shrink and it's going to pull. It's going to pull on that old garment and it's not able to take it. And that's how it was with these Pharisees. That, you know, they could have tried to maybe be a little bit more compatible with Jesus or whatever. But it wouldn't work. You know, that's how it is, you know, with... Uh, with hum, human attempts to fuse and to mesh all these different world religions. You see, because Jesus won't mesh with it. That's why. It won't mesh. They can try to, you know, make some sort of uh, utopian society with a little of this and a little of that. But Jesus won't mix with that. On by himself. Now, 2,000 years ago, as the try to put ourselves in that context, and it's kind of hard, especially when you think about 22 and putting new wine into old bottles, and new wine doth burst the bottles, the wine is spilled, the bottles be marred, and new wine must be put in new wine bottles. When we think of wine bottles, we're not talking about glass here. We're talking about animal skins. Maybe your translation may even say wine skins. 2,000 years ago that really they would generally, they would take like a, a goat when they were butchering a goat and they would skin that animal and they would scrape the hide and then they would put that hide through a process somewhat like tanning and then they would fill it up with new wine. And as that wine went through the process of fermentation, that that wine skin would be able to expand with the gases and things that were produced uh, with the fermentation of that wine. And so over time, that those wine skins, that they would adapt, they would adapt and take the shape and form of that wine. And it would, you know, through time it would become hardened, it would become, become uh, more brittle. 
lose its elasticity and no longer be stretchable and pliable. And so he gives us the picture here that we only put new wine in new wineskins because it's the old wineskins that they aren't elastic anymore. They aren't pliable anymore. They aren't stretchable anymore. And so we can't reuse those. And if you try to do that, that you're just going to make a mess. You're going to spill everything. You're going to lose everything. And so it was with Judaism. So it was even with the life and ministry of John the Baptist that what Jesus did, that he did something new and he did something that was complete in and of itself. That it was everything that these other, that Judaism and John the Baptist, he was everything that they never were. And through Christ, that he is the complete package, that he is everything, and we try to if they tried to tie him up in their little packages of even what John the Baptist did or what the Pharisees did, it just wouldn't work because they couldn't hold him. It couldn't contain him. <laughs> That's how powerful Jesus is. So what's that matter? What's that matter to us? I believe it should be a reminder that a warning for us that you and I, that we are not to be about business as usual. And just simply going through the motion of the day. That we have something that's alive. That we have something that is powerful. And that is working. And that if we put him inside of us that things are going to change. I think there's a message for me and message for you individually in our life. That God desires to work and that our Human efforts and our human ways are not going to contain what God desires to do in and through us that we cannot, we can't predict and we can't tell all that God might do in our individual lives. And it's a strong reminder that we as a church that we need to be pliable, that we need to be viable in this day in which we live, that we not just get set in doing this, 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 and this, but we are to be open to the activity and the moving and the drawing and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, that we are willing to do whatever God leads us to do. And that's how it is, that we are like those wineskins that we get brittle, that we get set in our ways, that we get unwilling to move, that we get unwilling to change in any aspect of our lives. Now, you know as well as I do, the older that we get, the more what? Set in our ways we get. Yes. That's why it's often tough. It's often tough when you get married later in life, right? When you get them young, you can make them into who you want them to be. (laughs) Not so easy once they're set in their ways. You know what? We do that spiritually. We do that as a church. So may God help us. That we would not just become mundane, not be mundane, but even in our lives, individually and in our lives collectively as a church, 
that we would be burdened. That we would not think it's okay to just keep going on. But the day in and day out that we would have some pep in our step. That we'd have some celebration in our singing. That there would be joy. That there would be purpose in our fellowship. This morning, as we were talking about those things in Sunday school, that we made a grand discovery that it's going to take each and every one of us doing our part. You see, I, I get up here and I do my, do my thing for however many minutes every Sunday. But unless we all do our part. Every day. Every week. Every year. Then really I'm not going to change anything just getting up here and talking. It's going to be when we together that we take the word of God. And that we implement the word of God. And that we live we live knowing that we've been made new. You know what? If we don't give any thought to the Lord Jesus Christ between now and next Sunday, we're not going to live like nothing's new inside of us. It's going to be when we purpose in our heart. If we live like hell Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, what's it going to look like? Are we going to feel the joy of the Lord in our life? No. If we fill our hearts and minds with filth and trash all through the week, are we going to know the joy of the Lord? No. If we spend our lives making a dollar and never making a life that honors Him, are we going to feel the joy of the Lord? No. But if we give some consideration that we live in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore, it behooves us. Therefore, it is demanded of us that we live, that we are in times of celebration. May God help us to know that He's come to make us new. He's come to give us a quality of life like we've never known apart from Him. Let's pray together. Father, we give you these moments today and ask that you would work in our lives. Lord, draw us to yourself. God, teach us. God, teach us to look like Jesus. God, teach us to love to be with Jesus. Lord, and day by day and moment by moment to enjoy his presence in our life. Lord, to live above and the circumstances of life that would tend to drag us down and defeat us. and God, that we'd set our eye and our hope upon you, the real joy giver. And God, I, I pray, God, as your spirit works in this congregation today, as it moves among us, God, I pray that you'd open eyes to see I pray that you'd open ears to hear from you today. God, for victory, 
like they never thought possible that today that you'd bring. God, help me to teach us and help, help me to show us. But God, I pray for people with a like mind and heart to follow you. And God, that we'd get over the hang-ups of our life that have us living in legalism and fear. And God, that we'd move on in joy and victory for what you have for us, God. And Lord, that we would hear, that we would congregate to celebrate. But God, that our life away from here will be a life of joy because of what you've done for us. I just ask you to minister to people as your spirit sees fit today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together this morning.